0: But Now we're going to continue. We're coming uh, towards the end of 1 Corinthians. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 today, and we're looking at uh, the whole issue of spiritual gifts and public worship. Our series has been called, But for the Grace of God. And the letter, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, really is a letter challenging uh, them and us about living in the grace of God. A number of years ago, uh, not in this church, I, be, uh, I preached two weeks in a row on the grace of God. And on the first week, I just talked about God's great love for us and how we don't deserve it and how grace is the unmerited favor of God towards us. And uh, 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 someone who was Older than me came up to me. A guy came up to me at the end of the service. He said, "He said, Steve, that was amazing this morning." The second week, I spoke uh, from Titus chapter two, verses eleven and twelve, uh, which uh, talks about grace teaching us to say no to ungodliness. And at the end uh, of the meeting, the same person came up to me and said, "Steve, that was awful." And I want to say that it revealed a deep misunderstanding of God's grace, and it eventually, ultimately impacted his speech, his behavior, and sadly, his marriage. And after many years now in church leadership, I'm convinced that living in the grace of God is our greatest joy, but also our greatest challenge. And that's why Paul was writing to the church in Corinth. He opens the letter in chapter 1, and he says he always thanks God because of the grace that they have received in Jesus Christ. He then also, immediately afterwards, commends them for not lacking any spiritual gift as they wait uh, uh, for Jesus' return. And it's a remarkable thing for Paul to say, so, because as we're going to see, as we unpack this chapter, they are making a mess of spiritual gifts in their public worship. And like Paul, there are many churches in the world today that discourage the use of spiritual gifts publicly exactly for that reason. So I grew up in a church and I uh, in South Wales, and I remember uh, a friend of mine talking to the minister of the church who was a very godly man. And I went to talk to him about this whole issue of the use of, of gifts in, publicly in meetings, spiritual gifts in meetings. And uh, there weren't any being exercised at all in the church. It was we sang a hymn, then we sat down, then we uh, had a prayer, then we had another hymn, and we stood up and then we sat down again. And and that was what the worship was like. And so uh, this person went and spoke to the minister, and the minister said this. He said, um, he talked about how he exercised spiritual gifts in his own uh, quiet times when he was on his uh, own with God. And uh, so the challenge was, why don't you encourage that in, uh, on our Sunday gatherings? And he said this, he said, the church isn't ready for it yet. And I think that, th- that there's a, a sense of that in many, you can go to many churches in that sense. Actually, we're a bit nervous. We, we don't think this is the church is quite ready for it. I want to say to you that that is not what the Apostle Paul did or would have said to us if he was here today. Over this series, we've seen that the Corinthians had serious problems with disunity and quarreling. Their failure to grasp God's grace caused a low view of holiness which impacted their relationships uh, with one another and their behavior. And nowhere was that problem more evident than in the issue of worship. Paul's shocking assessment of uh, what was happening when they gathered to break bread together to remember what Jesus had done for them on the cross was that their meetings were doing more harm than good. That is not a good uh, assessment of meetings, gathering together. Selfishness and pride were undermining their public worship. Now Paul needs to speak into the use of spiritual gifts in their meetings. The Greek word for spiritual gifts is charismata, It means grace gifts, gifts freely given by God's Spirit, supernatural gifts given by the Holy Spirit in order to build up God's people, His church. And bizarrely, in Corinth, their use of grace gifts provided evidence of their lack of grace and their need to grow in the grace of God. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives these gifts, spreads these gifts amongst God's people. They're for the benefit of everyone. Honoring and receiving the use of these God given gifts is the evidence of a healthy, grace filled church, I want to suggest. Paul is clear. All of us have gifts that we can bring. And yet, Paul also underlines that every aspect of our worship must be saturated uh, in God's love. That's what we were celebrating this morning. We've been encouraged to soak in God's love, to allow it to penetrate deeply into our hearts. Without love, anything we do, anything we say is just empty words and empty actions and having set the scene Paul now challenges how the Corinthians use spiritual gifts in public worship and I believe God wants to speak to us today we're going to read excerpts from chapter 14 as we pick up a number of themes that come out of this passage we're not going to read the whole chapter I want to encourage you to go and do that when you go home. Do it during the week. The first thing I want us to see is this is that Paul is encouraging us that gifts are to be eagerly desired. He says this in verse 1: Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. This verse is written in In the plural. And it's an exhortation, therefore, for all of us. Worship is not a spectator sport. Neither is its focus meeting our own personal needs. Our worship of God is a communal activity. We're missing the point if worship is about what I get out of it rather than what I bring to honor God and to bless others. This verse is deeply challenging. In the midst of the confusion that's being caused by the use of the, these gifts in Corinth, if we were there, we would say, stop it. Stop it. Stop doing that. You're making a mess and dishonoring God. And yet Paul strongly urges them to pursue both love and spiritual gifts why well it's evidence of the presence of the living God amongst us God is alive God speaks today wow the evidence of that should be in our midst as we gather together do we anticipate God speaking to us today. Did you come to church this morning, to gather together this morning, wondering, what is God going to say to me today? I want to tell you, if you didn't, then your eyes are too low. You need to lift your eyes and come with an anticipation. What is God going to say to me today? The living God who speaks today. And so Paul Exhorts, encourages the Corinthian church to prophesy. Prophecy is a revelation from God given by the Spirit through a person to strengthen and build up the church. Some argue that prophecy in the Old Testament was referring to divine infallible speech. And after Jesus died and the first, his first apostles had, had also died, that gift is no longer active in the New Testament, in the church. Because we now have the full and inspired Word of God. Prophecy is no longer needed. That's their argument. They argue the same is true about speaking in tongues or languages. And yet, Paul here expects prophecy to continue long after he's left the scene. You see, New Testament prophecy isn't divine, infallible language. That's why Paul says it always needs to be weighed or tested. And you'll see that at the end of the chapter. Prophecy is more than just inspired preaching, although it can include inspired preaching. And the reason for that is Paul doesn't expect everyone to preach publicly, but he does encourage everyone to prophesy. Andrew Wilson, in his commentary, 1 Corinthians for You, says we're better off assuming that New Testament passages apply to us today unless there's a clear indication from the context that they don't. Paul would say to you today, and he does, through this passage, eagerly desire, desire, spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. That's applicable not just as we gather together on a Sunday morning, but it's in smaller gatherings as we meet in uh, one another's homes. Prophecy uh, can include, can come from a scripture. You read a scripture. Out and God speaks through it because God's word is living and active. It's like a double-edged sword, cuts into our hearts and lives, we're told. You can prophesy as your a prayer can be prophetic. Maybe you get pictures and you see things in pictorial form. Maybe you have a word uh, or a sentence that you know is relevant in that particular moment that God is speaking through. Maybe you have a sense of God doing something. It can uh, come from the front on a Sunday morning or it can come from our one-anothering as we mix together. Eagerly desire spiritual gifts. The second thing that Paul talks about is expressing mysteries. And he's talking here about speaking in tongues. This is what he says in verse 2. For the person who speaks in a tongue (coughs) is not speaking to people, but to God. Since no one understands him, he speaks mysteries in the Spirit. Honestly, this gift, the gift of speaking in tongues, the Greek word is glossolanguages, spiritual languages, causes... Much fear in some believers because they, it's unknown, it's something they can't get their heads around. Ignorance usually leads to fear and confusion. So, what is the gift of tongues or languages? Paul is talking about people speaking or singing in an unknown spiritual language given by the Holy Spirit in a public setting. That is what he's talking about in this passage. He is not talking here about the private gift of tongues, which is used in private prayer. Paul doesn't want them to stop speaking in tongues. I mean, they're making a mess of it. But he doesn't want them to stop speaking in tongues publicly. He wants them to make sure that it's used correctly. When someone speaks in a tongue, they are speaking to God, not to men. That's what we're told. It's like... Uh, uh, With a phone line, most of us don't have landlines anymore. We used to uh, have a landline into this office and uh, Pam uh, at the front desk, a call would come through and she would pass the call on to me. But I had a direct line number and if you knew my direct line number, you could circumvent the front desk and speak directly to me. Speaking in tongues is us having like a direct line to God. The Holy Spirit within us enables us to communicate with God by stirring our spirits and working in us. But it makes no sense to the human mind, we're told, because it involves speaking mysteries. And that's why in a public context, when someone speaks in an unknown language, a tongue, It needs an interpretation. It doesn't need a translation, word for word. It needs an interpretation because the interpretation of a tongue uh, carries the sense of what it is saying. It's not a word for word interpretation, uh, a translation. My wife Annie will occasionally bring a tongue on a Sunday. And if she does, you will notice she stays at the front until it's been interpreted. Because she's ready to interpret it herself. I would normally expect a tongue, when it comes to the interpretation, to be God focused, to be say a prayer of praise or adoration. Why? Why, Why that gift? Why is that important? Well, sometimes we can get stuck in our heads, and we can get stuck in the circumstances. Uh, sometimes our worship can get stuck in tongues. A tongue can break open the worship because what it does, it stirs an expectation of something, it stirs you to think: Have I got the interpretation for this? It provokes us to seek God. And then the tongue itself, the interpretation, points us to the God who is far above us and far above our circumstances. Expressing mysteries. Thirdly, in this chapter, we see Paul talking about spiritual gifts and saying they bring edification. This is what he says in verses 3 to 5. On the other hand... The person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. The person who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues unless he interprets that the church may be built up. Contributions in a public gathering are to build the church up, not put us down, put people down. Now an interpretation can involve correction, because we need correction, we need realigning sometimes. But the tone of any contribution should be to encourage and to help us. And so Joel's encouragement this morning about faith, it was an encouragement for us for us to believe God. Were you not encouraged by that? It stirs us because, yes, I want to believe God. This great God who rules the heavens is interested in me and how I live my life, and I want to trust him. I want to trust what his word says. The purpose of spiritual gifts, especially prophecy, is that the church is built up, that, that we mature, we grow up in our faith. Prophecy should draw us closer to God and to each other. It should inspire us and encourage us in our worship and in our mission. If you were here at the prayer meeting on Wednesday night, there was a prophetic word that God spoke to us about a net net over us. And God wanted us to break the net off of the net of low expectations and to believe Him for greater things Because he is a great and mighty God and wants to demonstrate his glory amongst us. And too often, our expectations are low. Just as Joel was encouraging us to lift our eyes and believe God, that's what the word was encouraging us on Wednesday night. God may be speaking to us, saying something similar. Two meetings in a row? Do we need to pay attention Of course we do, because God still speaks today. But speaking in tongues publicly with no interpretation is pointless, Paul says. They're just edifying themselves, that's what he tells us. Because contributions need to be intelligible. That's the whole point of what he's saying. You need to understand, otherwise it makes no sense. It means nothing to you. And so Paul gives three examples about playing a musical instrument and talks about the tune comes from the distinction between the notes. You need to have distinction between notes, otherwise you can't get the tune. Sounding a trumpet, he says, a a trumpet in uh, uh, olden days, uh, like in uh, the Crimean War. When the cavalry charged, they'd sound the bugle, and the the sound the bugle made, there would be the charge, and they would all know, everybody would know, oh, that's the call to charge. If the bugle just makes the same noise all the time, nobody knows what's going on. And in the use of languages, Paul says, if we don't understand, both the speaker and hearer, he says, are effectively foreigners to one another. I remember when we had uh, Annie and I many, many years ago had two Russians staying with us from the North Caucasus. We had uh, Oleg and Vladimir stayed with us for a few days. And uh, they could speak no English and we could speak no Russian. And. uh, there was, on the Saturday morning, we were going to take them out, and uh, we were going to take them out, and so I'm trying to explain to them what we're going to do. So I then get into Pictionary. I'm not very good at Pictionary, so I started drawing. So I drew a boat, and sort of saying, and I was doing, you, see boat. So, and so that's, that's as far as I got. Anyway, um, they're sort of like, so I think they, they think... I think they think that I'm taking them to Southampton Docks to see the QE2 or the place where the Titanic sailed from. I think that's what they thought. We took them to Hamble, to the uh, Hamble and Warsash Ferry, which holds about 15 people and it's pink. And they're like, they get there and they're like absolutely bemused, (laughs) absolutely bemused what's going on. And I... The point is: the point is this is that we need to be able to communicate, to understand, to, uh, to for our relationships to develop. Meaning is crucial. Paul reinforces this in verse 26 when he says this. What then, brothers and sisters? Whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything is to be done for building up. So understanding, intelligibility is really important. Not everyone is going to be able to share on a Sunday morning as we gather together. But we can all come ready to share It's easier to do it, actually, in smaller settings. It's our desire to see the church built up, for the living God to be speaking amongst us. Let's excel in doing that. Fourthly, spiritual gifts, Paul says, exalt God. This is what he says. I will sing praise with the Spirit, and I will also sing praise with my understanding. Otherwise, if you praise with the Spirit, how will the outsider say amen at your gift of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? For you may very well be giving thanks, but the other person is not being built up. I don't know if you've, I've never been to a wedding where this has happened, but I, I see articles in papers occasionally where there's a wedding and Uh, Someone comes dressed, who's not the bride, comes dressed like the bride. And you're like, what's that all about? It's like they're trying to upstage the bride. Spiritual gifts are there to draw attention to God and not us. It's not about us. It's not about us looking good. When we do that, we are up, trying to upstage God. We are trying to be more prominent than God. God should be center stage. Spiritual gifts are part of our worship to God and should, they should provoke prayer and praise. And we need the Holy Spirit's help in worship. There are moments when we run out of words to say. Have you had moments like that where you're worshiping and, and and actually you just run out of words? We need the Holy Spirit's help in moments like that. Sometimes our response needs to be to bow in silence. And other times we need the Spirit's help to express what Matthew Bridges, the hymn writer, calls the ineffably sublime in the hymn Crowning with Many, uh, Crowning the Lord of Years. God is so great, so awesome. We need the spirits up to declare the praises of God. We need a revelation of Jesus sometimes. If you're going through difficult times, you need a revelation of Jesus to inspire you to worship. We read in Revelation, revelation chapter 1 where John is on the island of Patmos. He's in prison. Uh, uh, he's, in a, uh, uh, he's, he's in exile. He's in exile. Trapped on an island on his own for preaching about Jesus. And it's tough. And it says, On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit. And what happens? He then has this amazing revelation of Jesus, who Jesus is, and in the midst of his difficult circumstances, he falls to his face and worships. God wants to reveal himself to us through spiritual gifts that we would worship him. Fifthly, tongues are evidence of judgment. This is what it says in verses 21 to 25. It says, it's written in the law, "'I will speak to this people by people of other tongues and by the lips of foreigners, and even then they won't listen to me,' says the Lord." Speaking in tongues, then, is intended as a sign not for believers but for unbelievers, while prophecy is not for unbelievers but for believers. But if all are prophesying and some unbeliever or outsider comes in, he is convicted by all and is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart will be revealed, and as a result, he will fall face down and worship God, proclaiming, God is really among you. Now, this can feel a little confusing. Surely, prophecy is the sign for unbelievers if it provokes them to worship God. Surely, that's prophecy is the sign for unbelievers. Because they fall down their knees and say, God is here. How can speaking in tongues be a, a sign for unbelievers, for people who have no church background, who don't understand what's going on? Well, listen, in the Old Testament... Speaking in unknown languages was a sign of judgment. God's people were reminded to remain faithful to God, and if they didn't, they would be handed over to a nation whose strange language they wouldn't understand. See that in Isaiah 28. And Paul here is quoting Isaiah. He is saying that speaking in tongues is a warning to unbelievers of impending judgment. It's warning them that they're not God's people. But it's also an opportunity and a challenge that actually they can be. And so if you're here this morning, God is kindly speaking to you and saying, Come to me. Know me. I love you. Give your life to me. Put your trust in my son and you can become part of my family, my community. Because God loves people. That's why he sent his son to die for us. Lastly, this passage, Paul provokes a question about excessive usage. This is what it says, what Paul says. What then, brothers and sisters, whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything is to be done for building up, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Are we too excessively focused on spiritual gifts? Well, if you were here last week, you would have heard Becky challenger, challenging us, saying, That's far from the truth. The Corinthian meetings were chaotic. The meetings were chaotic. It's quite clear Paul is needing to bring some order. But they were exciting. You never knew what would happen next. Sometimes we can be so ordered that we order God out of our meetings. I remember in the early uh, years of being down here from South Wales, being part of a a charismatic church in Hedge End, the meetings were exciting. You never knew what was going to happen next. You went with an anticipation what's going to happen this morning. Here in Corinth, people were fighting to be heard, speaking over one another, Sometimes in tongues, and no one was interpreting. It was bedlam. No one was weighing, it seems, prophecies. I.e., weighing a prophecy. Is, this God's, is God speaking this to us? It was a mess. It was divisive. It was dishonoring God, who's a God of order and peace, not of disorder. And so Paul establishes some ground rules. He says, to bring order and peace in public worship, he says, there should be a few prophecies, not no prophecies. He says they should be brought one by one. And then they need to be weighed. Is this God speaking to us? More often than not, we weigh prophecies as a body. If you have forgotten what someone says, by the time you've got home, you've weighed it. If something is so far off beam it needs to be corrected a tongue must be interpreted and if there's no one able to interpret you shouldn't bring a tongue or you should interpret it yourself be ready to imp- prepare to interpret yourself paul then makes this strange reference to women being quiet in the church. He says they are not permitted to speak in verses 34 to 35. I want you to be really clear here. Paul is speaking about a specific problem in the culture of the day. He is not saying that women women need to be silent in church because he has already said in chapter 11 that women can pray or prophesy. There was something happening in the meetings that was causing disruption and he was saying that's got to stop because God's a God of order. But he isn't saying what some people try to make out he's saying, that women couldn't speak in church. That isn't the case. And so in truth, excessive use of spiritual gifts is not a, uh, something that we need to be, to be worried about. In fact, if Paul were here, he would be encouraging us to move more in spiritual gifts. He would want to create a sense of expectation that any can contribute. We should all come to worship with that expectation. Do we? Do we come on a Sunday morning ready to contribute? As we draw to a conclusion, I want to... Just read a verse from 1 Peter chapter 2, a couple of verses. And this is what it says, verses 4 to 6. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by people and chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ." As you come to him, the living stone. You come Sunday by Sunday, as you get up in the morning to worship, you come to a living, so you come to a living God, a God who is alive, a God who speaks today, a God who loves you and wants to demonstrate his love for you. But you, as his people, are living stones, a spiritual house. God is building us to be a holy priesthood a people where God is center stage, not us. Where the grace of God is evident when we gather. Where we honor one another. Where we honor Him and worship Him and love Him together. And we offer spiritual sacrifices. We offer our worship. It's a sacrifice. Sometimes it ain't easy. Sometimes it's hard, but we offer sacrifices. We bring them to him because he's worthy of our worship, and we want to encourage others to worship him. God is building his church, a grace-filled church, a church that will honor him with our worship. He's given us his word God's inspired word. We are a people of word and spirit. He wants us to be a church full of grace gifts. He wants us to be a people who strengthen, encourage, and console one another as we worship and exalt God. He encourages us to be a people who prophesy who bring the Word of God to other people, whether it be a Scripture or a word of encouragement in some other form. He wants us to come with a sense of expectation. We need to be a people filled with the Spirit. I'm going to ask the band to come and join me. And we're going to focus on Him. We're going to worship God together. And we're going to ask God to come and fill us afresh with His Spirit. And do you know what? He's a good God. He loves to give us good gifts. And they are gifts that He gives us. They are grace gifts. It's not done on the basis of what we deserve or what we've earned or how good we are. It's because He's a kind, loving God who wants to be among his people. The Word of God says, as we draw near to him, he draws near to us. How amazing is that? The living God is amongst us this morning. And as we worship him together, we're going to ask God's Spirit to come and fill us afresh.